Hello, Cinephile fans. This is John. This week on The Cinephiles, we are tackling one of my guilty pleasures, and of course, Steve kind of teased it in the Facebook group. It's 1981's Zorro the Gay Blade. It stars George Hamilton, Lauren Hutton, and Ron Liebman. A hilarious take, all from, in my opinion, on the legend of Zorro and the possibility of him being represented by two brothers of different walks of life. Now, before you say to yourself, now, why would I possibly listen to this episode? I can't encourage you enough to do so. Steve and I get into some incredible discussions about uh, some of the characters in the movie and about uh, some deeper issues as well about representation and what it was like in the 1980s to have a film that's essentially a Latino story being played by people who are not Latino necessarily. So this is a fun episode. I think you all will get so much out of, even if you don't like the movie, uh, you'll love it. And if you do like the movie, I think you'll love this episode even more. So join us this week on The Cinephiles for 1981's Zorro the Gay Blade. But I'm afraid this costume's not to my taste. If I am going to be this Zorro chappy, I want to make more of a statement. I want the world to recognize Zorro the Gay Blade. <laughs> Welcome once again to The Cinephiles. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, writer, producer, and host over at Collider and the co-host of the Top 10 uh, podcast and the Geek Buddies podcast. And this one. And there this one. Yeah. Um, and there's also Deep Cuts. Now, yeah, the Deep Cut, which I do over at uh, Collider, Collider Conversations. That one's actually starting to pick up some steam. That's it's great. really nice. I've been very... like. Uh, I know you're a big fan of documentaries. I it's am. been great to have... Like this little carve out this little niche of directors that want to come on because I'm giving their documentaries a lot of love and giving their like um, experiences on those documentaries a lot of love. So well, I'm I'm excited and it's nice. I, I hope you will not take this the wrong way. Mm. I've listened to your opinions on all sorts of podcasts, <laughs> including this one. Yeah, and it's nice hearing you as the interviewer mm -hmm. getting to kind of delve into someone else's life and their experience, and you you do a really nice job of it. And I'm enjoying hearing that. That part of John Roca. That That's very kind of you. It, it's what I really want. What you hear me do there is what I ultimately want to do. But I love doing all of this. But that's more where I want to end up going is that kind of podcast, just interview podcast, right? And somehow make a living doing that. So, well, you're 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 managing to, <laughs> yeah, piece you know. by piece. Um, so those those of you who listen to the show regularly, you might have noticed I did not do my regular intro about entering the world of a great film, and that's because this week and next week we're going to do something a little bit different. And yeah. this is a a little bit of an experiment for us, and I'm honestly a little bit nervous. And that is that we are going to explore two. Guilty Pleasures. Yes. This week with Your Guilty Pleasures, Zorro the Gay Blade, yes. George Hamilton, 1981. And next week, one of my favorite guilty pleasure martial arts movies, which is Bruce Lee's Way of the Dragon from 1972. Yeah. And the way this came about was you and I were talking on our Q&A, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. If you haven't listened to it, it's our 150th episode. We answered a whole bunch of questions from all our listeners. We did. And one of the questions was about guilty pleasures. And we told those two movies. And we got a message from are, I believe, number one supporter on Patreon, mm. which is Matthew Hasso, yeah. who I know is also a big supporter of the Top 10 yes, show. He and he's been an incredible, like person uh, supporting the show, publicizing the show, and, and helping us to make it. And, uh, and he said, basically, 
I will pay you guys cash money <laughs> to do those guilty pleasures on the cinephiles. And we demonstrating, I think, our incredible moral core and yes. high, high journalistic standards said, how much money? <laughs> and, and, and what's funny about it is, so uh, the first thing I wanted to hear is kind of t hear from Matthew Hosso of like what he thinks yes. about, I would say today, about Zora the Gay Blade. Hello, John and Steve. This is Matthew Hosso, and I wanted to say thank you so much for doing Zorro the Gay Blade. This is a movie I've been watching since I was a kid. I think when it first hit the movie channels, HBO or Showtime, was the first time I saw it. And I've watched it consistently my entire life. Um, the thing I think I love the most about this movie is it's so fast, it's so witty, it's so hilarious. And even though there are some of it that's, you know, definitely kind of dated... I still laugh more and more every time I watch it. I think when I first saw it, I was just glad to be watching a Zora movie. Some of it was kind of cute and funny, but most of it was completely over my head. As I got older and started understanding more of it and getting more of the jokes, it's just gotten more and more hilarious. Especially the last time I watched it was when I shared it with my wife, and we were just dying laughing. Uh, the highlights for these movies are... Just the scenes between Don Diego and Esteban as he's very suspicious of his longtime boyhood amigo is Zorro and just the little back and forth of them and the timing they have, the comedy they have. I mean, I can watch those scenes back and forth and often I do, uh, but I do want to say thanks for doing this. I really hope you guys have a good time revisiting this or watching it. And I'm just dying to hear what you guys have to say about this classic Zorro the Gay Blade. All right, thanks for that. And thank you wow. so much for all your support. Yeah, um, a lot of words there. A lot of words by <laughs> Matthew about uh, his love of the movie and his guilty pleasure about it, feelings about it. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, I want to share something with our audience, which is there, as, as John and I are picking movies and we're getting ready to mm -hmm. do things, there's always some back and forth as we try to figure out what exactly we want to do and maybe yeah. how we want to handle things. And I got to say that in the last couple of days, I started to get some real anxiety about Zorro the Gay Blade. And I texted you yesterday and said, man, I don't know. You yeah. know, I don't know if we can do this. You know, and you were watching Way of the Dragon at the time and pointed out that there is a very uh, cartoony, uh, stereotype gay man, gay character in Way of the Dragon. And isn't this a double standard for me? And I went, and I, I was like, you know, of course there is. And we should talk mm -hmm. about it because it's really, you know, mm -hmm. right there. And But I said, which I thought was a perfectly good defense, was that Bruce Lee is a cultural icon. And he's a huge, you know, loved by millions. Just recently highlighted in Quentin Tarantino yep. movie. Very important figure. And that's what the difference is. And you wrote back and it just rocked me. You said, well, what about Zorro? Yeah. You know? And I... Stayed up late last night thinking about that. I've been thinking about that all morning. And it really has, you know, made me think about this film in a way I never would have mm. because of you saying that. I will say, I still don't like the movie. <laughs> That's fair. It's absolutely fair. <laughs> but it's given, it's made me kind of go, maybe there is something to discuss here yeah. in terms of what draws us to films and why they are important to us. Even when and we acknowledge that maybe these aren't the best films in the world, mm -hmm. which they're not, you know. Right. But they're still fun to do. And fans always come at us and go, we want you to do more guilty pleasure movies or we want you to do older movies. And we've kind of been having conversations about that over the last few weeks anyway. And so this kind of came out organically out of the Q&A episode, as you said. So I feel like we're, we're kind of hitting the 
guilty pleasure button or checking that box rather uh, in a way that's fun for both of us because it's one movie that I absolutely love. And then your movie next week is a movie that I've never, that I did not see until last night. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'd only ever seen The Fight with Chuck right. Norris. I'd never seen the actual movie until I saw it last night. And it's, so, a weird, it's a weird movie. It's a very weird movie, but enjoyable. Yeah. And I, at times with some of these martial arts movies, I, it's not about the plot. Right. But Bruce tried really hard to do something with these plots that was unusual or different, whether it be a comedic tone about toilets or whatever. Right. It was just something that made it stand out. And yeah. for that, he deserves a lot of credit. I mean, we'll talk about it next time. Yeah, What's absolutely. interesting to me is like the plot. A bunch of mobsters want to get this Chinese restaurant for some reason. Yeah. Is stupid as hell. Yeah, it's flimsy as hell. But there's all sorts of other stuff that's sort of like. You know, well, we'll talk about it now. Yes, we'll, yes. We're, we're digressing. But I would say there's just as much to talk about in this movie, and we'll see as we go along. And for the fans who are listening, Steve and I never talk about it. We rarely talk about our points ahead of time. Right. Uh, and it comes up organically through the show. So I have no idea what Steve is going to say. And the fact that it rocked him for last night into this morning, I am now even more curious about how he's going to approach this movie. And I'm actually excited to see what comes up. Well, what's interesting to me is that I, I think, and, and this is what you saying, well, what about Zorro made mm -hmm. me think about is that in some way, something that these movies both have in common is in a weird way, they're about representation. Yes. And they're about representation in a way of, like today, the movement is really trying to have people of different experiences, different ethnicities, uh, ethnicities on screen in big roles in lead characters and make them just as important as all the white people that have been the stars of movies sure. forever. Mm -hmm. Back in 1972 or back in 1981, we didn't get that. Yeah. We got... The, the only way that things were represented was in a kung fu movie or in a strange comedy. That's all yeah. there was. Yeah. And so as uh, someone who was a uh, immigrant watching Way of the Dragon in 1972 or someone who was an African-American watching Way of the Dragon or you, I was thinking about you being a Latino yeah. kid in 1981 mm -hmm. and this movie comes out and how many movies were there with anybody doing anything about Spanish in 1981? Yeah, and, and this is one of my favorite family's films because... There wasn't that many mainstream films that addressed a um, hero like Zorro. Yes, back in the 40s and 50s, we'd had, was it, uh, I forget it was, uh, who it was? Tyrone Power. Tyrone Power, who, yeah. which was one of my mother's favorite actors. And he would play Zorro in these in his old serials. But we didn't get Latino-based films right. or Latino-cultured films. And this was a mainstream film. Uh, with an actor who at the time was somewhat potent, still potent, the name was potent at the time. And so to see him step in to do this with a, a bunch of other actors who are of no, Brenda Vaccaro's of no, Donovan Scott worked for a yeah, long Lord time Hunter. and Ron Liebman worked for a long time. So and so for me, it was exciting to see that. And a majority of the cast around them, and Lauren Hunt, right, you're right, a majority of the cast around them is Latino. Yes. And so that was so Even great. though your main characters... Are not. Are not. Yeah, exactly. The main <laughs> actors, rather. Yes, are not. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but you know, this was something that was really... Until Obama came along, this was something that we held on to. And El Norte was more of a art house film, so not a lot of us went to go see that. Well, and this is what I'm going to call to some degree, I, don't, I can't think of a better term, is the beggars can't be choosers principle. Mm. You know, is that had there been really dynamic, you know, Latino filmmakers making films, then you might, this might not have had the effect that it had right, on you. Right. But because it's like, well, this is what it is, you know, and the, the uh, you know, we've heard about it over and over today of the power of seeing somebody like you on film, mm. you know, and as a Jewish kid, 
you know, they were all Jews, you know? Yeah. So like, you know, and a, I'm a white Jewish guy. So like, I didn't have that experience mm -hmm. uh, that a lot of people have, which is like, oh, that's me. And even though there's ridiculous things in both of these films, yeah. you know, there's still something to say about this is, you know, you don't, you don't break through these barriers like with a huge bulldozer and knock them down all at once. You mm -hmm. chip away at them. And that, and this is sort of maybe one of the beginnings of it. Mm. Do you remember? I think I, you kind of already said the answer. You remember how you first came to it? Yeah, we went as a family to see this in the movie theater. I remember I was, what, 11 years old when this thing came out, 10 or 11. I remember my dad and my mom uh, took me, to, our whole family, to go see this. We went downtown to see it in the Spanish community that was there in D.C. So we saw it in a theater full of people who were Latino and enjoyed the hell out of this. You know, we used to go to that theater to see... So it was like a like a Latino audience. It was a Latino audience, yeah. Wow. Like, uh, yeah, so a lot of immigrants, a lot of people who would come over to the country and uh, and their children who maybe were born here too, all together, because that used to be the theater we'd go down to to see the old Cantinflas movies. Right. Right, we'd see all that. Uh, and so those that was a the theater we always went to. Like every few Sundays, something would come out, we'd go as a group down there, and uh, Zorro the Gay Blade was one of them. And, I, and, and there's no yeah. reaction of like... You know, this isn't really us. This is a fake version. There was no no because because Cantinflas is a real yeah. That's yeah, a, yeah authentic yeah authentic is essentially the, the Latino Charlie Chan right. or uh, Charlie Chaplin rather the Mexican Charlie Chaplin and but seeing this was more about seeing them make fun of Zorro was actually fun because they make fun of it without ever disrespecting it. And I think that's the gift of this movie that not a lot of people give it credit for. Yes, it's played for laughs, all for jokes, but there's real seriousness here about taking on the role of Zora, how it's passed on from father to son. Like, it's real. Like, and that's like something that's in the heritage of Latinos, this idea of taking on, you know, what has been before of your father and somehow doing better with it or somehow expanding it. And so um, seeing that as the foundation of the film before it gets into all the ridiculousness, uh, was great and it felt like he was Latino it felt like he was like uh, Tony Montana does in Scarface feel, felt like he was Cuban so, so you're felt good like, with him because I have no I'm, judgment on it oh no I you're, loved it I love it you're still. good with his accent and yes, the whole like, everything and Rod Liebman Rod Liebman and I'll tell you why I'm good with him because when they both speak Spanish it's authentic okay. it sounds authentic it does not sound like someone putting on right. the language do you know what I'm saying and so will you give them the alt the the uh the honorary uh, Latino award that you've given to Eli Wallach and a few other people throughout yes. this podcast. Yes, I absolutely would to both of them. Because this is a again, valuable award. Yes, I mean, I do not give it to many <laughs> no. people. No. Um, <laughs> it's, um, so uh, I wanted to talk about, uh, since, since, and this is part of what you made me think of yeah. last night by that text, was I went, oh, I need to look into Zorro. Because Zorro is an icon. Just as, and what was interesting to me is like, in a weird way, I think we think of Zorro as like a legendary character mm -hmm. in the tradition of King Arthur and Robin Hood and sure. it, Scarlet Pimpernel and all this. But King Arthur and Robin Hood are characters that evolved out of folk legends mm -hmm. over many, many centuries. That's not what Zorro oh, is. No. Zorro is a guy named Johnston Macaulay in 1919 wrote a pulp a pulp book mm -hmm. and that is where Zorro comes from it is not out of any tradition yeah. it's not out of any latino anything right it's a dude i think he's in boston who wrote this thing knowing <laughs> probably very little about early california history or anything right and he writes it and what i didn't realize was it was supposed to be one shot and and Zorro gets revealed at the end and the bad guy dies and that's it and then uh i didn't realize that douglas fairbanks and mary pickford 
that this is the first United Artists film yeah. that they did. I had no idea. And that's 1920. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, United Artists was formed by the two, the biggest, the three biggest stars at the time, Douglas Fairbanks, Mary Pickford, and Charlie Chaplin, and the biggest director at the time, D.W. Griffith, because they didn't want to, they wanted to control their own destiny, and they formed this company where they could make their own movies. And this is the very first one, The Mark of Zorro. Yeah, The Mark of Zorro. And, and uh, which I've seen parts of. I don't think I've ever seen the whole movie. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah it's fun. It's fun, but it's also old, you know. Well, sure. <laughs> um, and uh, and I guess Johnston McCulley at that point went. I got to write some more Zorro books. <laughs> I got to make some more money. And this became one of those properties that, like we talked about with King Arthur, like we talked about with Robin Hood, there have been, he wrote 50 short stories. He wrote a bunch of serialized stories. The last one he wrote was published posthumously in 1959. Wow. Yeah. So he kept doing it. It's had over 40 films, a whole bunch of serials, TV shows, the biggest one being the Disney one, 57 to 59. Right. Like Zorro has become, and it's one of these things like everything else, which is, Every few years, we're going to get another version of the Zorro story. Mm -hmm. And you can't talk about Batman without talking about Zorro. There Absolutely. is no Batman without Zorro. Mm -hmm. The masked guy who is pretends to be the kind of ludicrous playboy who goes around at night and is the Avenger and all. There's so much of what became, because, you know, Zorro's 1919. Yep. And all of superhero fiction all those guys read zorro of course they did yeah you know so the none of the stuff we have have happens i believe without zorro that's certainly possible and and that's such a great point you make steven so you can make i know people right now are like pulling over in their cars going what the hell are you talking about and maybe having their minds blown a little bit but yes this all the bones here are in numerous superhero uh creations and iterations of characters that come Decades later after Zorro, but this was in the pop culture. This was this was watched, this was consumed, this was newspapers, um, clip and newspaper uh, strips, comic strips. It was all of it was here. There were comic books for Zorro. There were little like pulp novels. There was everything yeah. you could possibly want. So I'm sure there people, was a radio show. Yeah, like I'm sure there was a radio show. And these people, yes, there was. And these people who grow up from this stuff are the ones who go on to create superheroes so why not well and maybe this ties into kind of what we're saying in, in terms of guilty pleasures it's mm. my assumption if you and i went back and read the original 1919 story mm. it was probably pretty stupid <laughs> you know maybe. and just as the vast majority of the early superman comics were basically pretty stupid super cheesy. and the argument that was made for uh you know 50 years about comic books including in my childhood that this was for kids stuff and it would rot your brain and all that stuff that we grew up with yeah there was a lot of truth there because a lot of them were pretty bad yeah but they clearly touched on something that we understood was important even if the th the, the the quality of the thing delivering it wasn't that good mm -hmm. and that's what goes as certainly true of a whole bunch of kung fu films and black exploitation films and all these things where it's like we went we saw something there even when we knew they weren't really great films. Right. But we saw something that was important to us. And I think what we're seeing today, maybe, is that that has moved into the mainstream. Mm -hmm. that finally, they're getting the, no, actually, this is important. And let's yeah. put our best people on it. And we'll see. And then we get this great stuff, yeah. you know, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and stuff. And, and a lot of that goes all the way back to Johnson McCauley in 1919. There you go. Writing a pretty, probably a pretty bad story. <laughs> yeah, right. But oh. I think I think you make a great thing at the end, and I know we need to move on. But like this is now the backlash is starting to happen against these movies and against these superhero movies, right? And it's the same old complaints. Yeah, this is just uh, kid, stuff. kid stuff. This is just big. They're not really talking about anything real. And these are people who are not consuming the content and understanding what the core foundation of the stories of of these uh, films are. 
and missing the whole damn point. For me, it's a there's a food metaphor, which is this is all part of your balanced breakfast. Yep. Is that if you just ate nothing but the superhero films, you would not have a balanced diet. Right. You know, just as if you watched only one news source or went only one, you were not, you actually need a bunch of stuff in your diet that yeah. includes some dramas and some comedies and some other stuff. Classics. Yeah. Some classics in order to be a well-rounded media savvy person. Yes. Um, I'm going to give one piece of pre-production. That is all I have. <laughs> okay. This is not a highly researched podcast today. Most of That's the research right. was all in Soro. Yeah. Uh, the one piece of pre-production is Love at First Bite. Yeah. Which that is the movie I I, I watched. Yeah, uh, I watched that one over and over again, and that's 1979, I think, and George Hamilton, and he's playing Dracula, going to New York in the disco era. Yeah, and everyone goes, "Hey, this guy's funny," and there is no Zorro the Gay Blade without Love at First Bite. It's true, which is a great one if you haven't revisited that one. Artie Johnson as Renfield, Susan St. James as a love interest, and the great Richard Benjamin. As Van Helsing mm. is so, and Dick Sean from It's a Mad Mad Mad, right. Mad World, he's in there as the detective. I'm telling you, there's so many funny moments in Love at First Bite, and we saw that one, which motivated us as well to go see Zora the Gate. So, so I never answered how I came to this film. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I watched Love at First Bite a whole bunch. Yeah. I'd seen it. I'd seen Zorro the Gay Blade a couple of times. Mm -hmm. I didn't watch it a lot. I'd probably watch it on, you know, it was on TV right. and I saw some of it, but I watched Love at First Bite a lot. Yeah. Um, that was the one that really hit me. Yeah. Would you like to get into your guilty pleasure, sir? Let's do it. <laughs> um, so uh, the one big thing that is so damn recognizable is the score. Oh. Yes, I loved it. No, you just did the score. That was not it. You what just did Holy Grail. Oh, Do you know where it comes from? No, where? It's Max Steiner's score for Don Juan in like 1938. And it's a fantastic score. It is a fantastic score. And we start with some black and white four by three footage, which I wondered if it was from the TV show, from the oh, Disney yeah, yeah. show. Good call. Um, and then we head off to uh, Spain. By the way, quick thing. Yeah. The narrator on that black and white, Frank Welker. Oh. Yes. Interesting. From Transformers. Oh, and I should say, by the way, uh, it, it is uh, directed by... Oh, wait, I lost I think it's play. Peter Medic. Peter Medic, yeah. who directed Romeo's Burning. Yep. And then done a bunch of TV. He did episodes of The Wire, mm -hmm. Sex in the City. He did episode of Breaking Bad. I mean, the it's guy... Good director. The guy's been... Well, he is a... <laughs> you know what? He is a good director. He's a good director. He's not going on any lists. <laughs> no, right, probably not. But, I mean, Breaking Bad is one of the great TV shows. I'm I don't sure. know what episode he did. And we hear that there's this legend of Zorro, and now it's 50 years later, and we're off in Spain, and we go into this bedroom, <laughs> and there is George Hamilton in bed with a woman, and it is um, romantic. Sure. <laughs> um, and there's some jokes about, do you think I'm a good wife? And, and he goes, you know, says all sorts of nice things, and she says, why doesn't my husband think that? Because he's not intelligent. He is not intuitive. He is not insightful. And in walks the husband, and he says... Not in Barcelona. He's not in Barcelona. Or something like that. What does he <laughs> yep, say? That's yeah, it. It's, it's not, not in Barcelona. Barcelona. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, these are the jokes. Yep. I actually like that joke. No, that's um, a good joke. Oh, okay. That one I like. And, you know, there. <laughs> this is this joke is, the next joke is ex will sum up so much the humor of this movie. Mm. Garcia, I am astonished you would enter my house without my permission. I might say the same thing about you and my wife. <laughs> <laughs> This is the level we're playing at here, people. 
You're either in or you're out from the first scene, I think. <laughs> so Lindley watched it with you, huh? She'd, oh, listen, I tried. <laughs> she, I, I brought her in at Speaking the, of in or out. Yeah, she was not a fan of this movie. No, she said it's, it's dad jokes to the extreme. Um, and we start a sword fight, and mm-hmm. uh, Diego says, I, I could fight four of you, and in come four more guys, and now he's fighting five. Yes. Uh, the sword play, not... Not, not, not a fan of the sword play? No. Right. There, there was one, the one big fight with him and uh, Liebman, which yeah. I'm sure is neither. It's just two stunt guys. That one's pretty good. Yes. All the other stuff is not so good, right? in my opinion. Okay. Um, and and this, at the same time, in comes Paco, the mute servant. Yes. Who has to uh, charade a message out? <laughs> a letter? Do you think this is the right time? <laughs> um, and the message is something about come back to California. Yes. And so he from his dad. He jumps out the window and hits the road. Yep. Uh, and we end up back in Los Angeles, California. Los Angeles, California, the birthplace of me. And as soon as he arrives, a carriage comes up with a soldier, and we get to meet Esteban. Esteban. Uh, Alcalde. He's a ridiculous film. Uh, uh, but so, but he fits the film. Like the film is ridiculous, but he fits the film because of his uh, ridiculous approach to playing the alcalde, which is a you know a stereotypical villain in these stories who is keeping the people, the peoples, uh, under his thumbs, <laughs> taxing them to no end, and uh, he's just great. It's just great because they initially like look at each other, but there's not that kind of like, hey, it's so good to see you. And I compare this to Ben Hur. I yes. knew you're going to say yes. <laughs> when when Masala and Ben Hur see each other, it's more of a warm embrace. This is more of a, I know who you are. I'm jealous of who you are because you're so good looking. Whatever. I'm wary of who you are because I know how dirty you were when we were kids. So they have a, like an, an an uneasy reunion. I would say. That is exactly what they are doing in the film. Yes. <laughs> you have described it perfectly. <laughs> oh, now we also get to meet Brenda Vaccaro, who is Florinda. Yes. And we see the f- obvious flirtation, and, and there's a moment of, you know, oh, we were competing for her, and it's kind of like, oh, oh, you won or yeah. something. And there's a joke that's... Uh, so our long rivalry for her highest is over, huh? Again... I congratulate you. No, this time I congratulate you. There's the subtle cracks. Well, throughout this movie, there's a lot of subtle stuff at the well, end of senses. Well, yeah. and this is the 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 harpy wife trope. You know, like I'm stuck with this woman who is who is sex craved uh, for Diego yeah. and or sex starved, and uh, and I'm stuck with her, and we have a crappy marriage, and that's the you know, and that joke's going to get hit right. a bunch, a few times um, on both sides. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Esteban's getting elected to be the new Alcado, mm-hmm. and uh, and there's you know these are the jokes, folks. <laughs> it's like Don So and So from San Jose, Don So and So from San Diego, and then Don Jose from San Bernardino, Luis Obispo from Bakersfield, <laughs> which is a very inside That's California, a California joke. joke man. <laughs> Um, it's so, it's so funny, and they're all Latino. They're all authentically Latino. All oh, they those are actors. Okay, yeah. it'd be interesting to do a survey of all the people living in California and asking them where do you think all the these names of all the mm. places you live come from? Yeah, and certainly there's a huge population of Latinos in California who would know that this was part of Mexico and part of Spain. Yeah, but there are a whole bunch of people here who probably just, I don't know. Yeah, who had you no know. clue. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I grew up in uh, a neighborhood called Del Mar in a, uh, a little town called Tiburon. So, yeah. so I was Shark of the Sea, man. That's sea. where I grew up. Exactly. I went to Del Mar uh, Middle School. What are the mascot for Del Mar? Uh, I th- 
<laughs> I think it was a shark. Was it? I'm assuming. Shout out to the sharks. Yeah. No more sharks. I don't, I don't really know. It's a really, it's a great question. We were obviously, I was really sporty. Yeah. <laughs> On top of it. I could tell you what the mascot of my high school, which oh. was Redwood High School. Oh, okay. Is a tree. There we go. Of yeah. course. Um, Why veer out of the box? Exactly. It's very <laughs> literal. I grew up in a very literal world. Um, and uh, uh, Esteban's making a big speech about how he's going to tax all the people and be basically, I'm going to be a horrible bad guy. And up comes Lauren Hutton with some pamphlets, and yeah. she is resplendent in her purple. Yes. Which is a royalty color. So it's an interesting choice, right? To stand out. From the people, hey, listen. I'm going with the royalty color. <laughs> it's like deep stuff, man. This it's is purpose. symbolic. It's on purpose. Well, they picked the purple outfit. That's yes. definitely on purpose. That's Whether or not they picked it because of royalty, <laughs> I don't know. Because she conveys a certain kind of aboveness. But isn't she fighting for democracy, she the antithesis is, of royalty? But what happens later, which we see, here, see in a little bit, is as uh, uh, Don Juan, Don uh, Diego, Don Diego calling him, calling her out. Right, because she's for her look girl. and her appearance and everything like this. So that's that's the thing. So she's out passing out pamphlets, like you know, trying to go against the alcalde. And just when they're about to arrest her, she says, "Don't I have a right to speak here in this square? Right, because by tradition and by law." And he says, "You do." The alcalde says, "You do," but arrest anybody who listens. So, <laughs> so there you go. And and then we get to this thing where Diego's there and he's talking to her about. Uh, her being a, a rich person, he could smell her, her perfume. Her perfume—it's yeah. like something oil sheep. Yeah, ship. And ship. we get our first running gag about pronunciations. Lots of gags where she, he, she misunderstands him and is correcting his pronunciation. Okay, here's the thing about this joke. <laughs> what language are they speaking? What in English? Are they? Yes. Isn't everybody here speaking Spanish? Well, at the time, sure, but <laughs> she speaks English. Because she's from, she's an American from California, and she's over. coming in making speeches in English to this exactly. community that all speaks community. Spanish. Well, there you go. No, see, see. But it is Los Angeles. <laughs> well, at a time when Los Angeles was part of Mexico, right? So, but so. you know, yeah, I think there's a. Uh, oh yeah, I get your point. <laughs> <laughs> in reality, they're all probably speaking Spanish. Sure, and sure. people who speak Spanish don't mispronounce pronounce Spanish. <laughs> she would actually be the one who would have problems communicating. That's fair. Not everybody else. <laughs> but he does try to speak in English to her, and she—I think she thinks he's saying shit. I thought and, she's saying ship. Uh, yo, she's she's saying, yeah, and then he says shit. The ships, ships. You know the ba ba bas. And so I think she's saying. Shittles shits in the field, ah. and so for her, I think she's he's she thinks he's saying that she smells like poop because the shits in the field. I missed that one. I missed yeah. that one. Yeah. yeah. Well, it takes a few watches. I, it's I, a subtle I, comment. I, I gotta sit down and do it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's a subtle comedy. Um, <laughs> and Paco comes up, offers to pour her a glass of wine, which yep. she drinks out of the bottle. <laughs> yeah. And later on, uh, we're with Diego, and he's kind of talking about. Uh, Lauren and Pac yeah. is making some gestures, and in comes Consuelo, the maid, oh, carrying God, so essentially a coffin. Yeah, this is like a classic kind of Mel Brooks joke. Yes, I yes, think it, it is. I think so. So to me, there's a tradition of comedy that's sort of Jewish comedy that grows out of the Catskills that really dominates a lot of comedy from the mid '50s until the mid '80s. Yeah. I would say, and and to me, that's 
Mel Brooks is the, the is the peak of that, and this is in that school. Yeah, I don't think it's at the same grade level <laughs> for me. That's fair. But uh, so Consuelo's carrying around this giant coffin oh, or something, it. and we're continuing to ignore her. We hear there's a letter from Esteban, and apparently there's going to be a masked ball, which yes. Florinda wanted to throw. And while Diego is going on about what should he be, should he be a samurai or a pirate or whatever, mm-hmm. Consuelo continues to walk around with this giant coffin on her back. And finally, we get to open it up, uh, and because there's something about his destiny in a letter from his father, yeah, who has died. A very serious letter, right? Because um, and that she's she's trying to tell him, but she she says something about your destiny, and it is when he hears destiny because he's been ignoring destiny, her the whole day. destiny, <laughs> no escaping that for me. <laughs> That's a it's deep her. cinephile's cut. Everyone can go try to fi- know who doesn't know what that is. Can figure it out. <laughs> It's his density. And so uh, <laughs> she, that's the thing that stops him, his destiny. And so he gets the letter, reads it, and opens the K and sees that he, his father was, which he never knew, his dad was Zorro. Well, and this is the classic Zorro story, which mm-hmm. is the, the, the son coming home from Spain, yes. where he studied swordsmanship, just like Batman, Bruce Wayne was off the world, studying all of his martial arts, yeah. and he's come home to discover that his father was Zorro, and that he needs to take on the the role. Yes. And there's a letter from dad that's, uh, that's kind of funny. He said, I do like this joke. My dear son, I do not call you by name because I don't know which of the brothers will get this. This is a nice little mystery. A little twist. Uh, the greatest gifts I possess. The sword with which to fight injustice, this mask with which to deceive tyranny, and this hat which needs reblocking. <laughs> <laughs> the joke plays twice too later on, so I love it. <laughs> and this and hat that needs reblocking. <laughs> well, and and this is. These are the jokes, folks. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, so if you're listening, if you're listening to us, and you think this doesn't sound like a funny <laughs> joke, I don't think this movie's gonna work for you because these are the jokes. And the, and the film leans into all of them. Oh yeah, leans into all of them. Uh, and what he says is, this is the perfect costume to wear to the ball. Yes. Out in the road, there's a peasant in trouble, and Diego and Paco. Diego now dressed as Zorro come riding up. How dare you skip the part where Paco comes in dressed as a bear? How Wait, dare you. are you saying that I haven't given this film the respect <laughs> yes, that it is that due? That joke is funny. Paco comes in dressed in some sort of dog outfit, thinking that he's dressed as a bear, and then uh, they have an exchange, and Diego says, oh, no, uh, no, I'll give you a peek. That's as much as I will give you, and then he sits down. Uh, Paco does, turns his back on Diego, and is hurt, and he's sullen. He goes, oh, no, from the back now I can see. You are a dog. You look like a, a bear. You look like a bear, and then... Paco is like, go oh, no, don't stop it, stop it. And then he takes his hand, starts walking him out and says, you're going to meet so many nice people, maybe a chicken, a goat, maybe another little bear. This is funny stuff. So they're riding now, uh, dressed as oh, hold on, hold on. and the bear. <laughs> I have to comment on this now. So I believe you took just about as much time to describe it as it took in the movie. <laughs> Yours was more entertaining. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> I complimented you. I know, but I loved it in the movie. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't find that funny, but okay. <laughs> All right, yeah, they're riding. They're so right he's now. dressed as a as a as a bear in his outfit. And Zorro. <laughs> so he's dressed as Zorro, and we yeah. find the peasant, and we ride off like, let's go fight some injustice. Yes, we go catch the the bad guy with that big Max Steiner sto- score. Yeah, there is a sword fight. They both get knocked off by a tree branch. Uh, again, 
sword fight is adequate. Yes. Um, and he defeats the guy and says, spread the word, a new bandit has arrived, a bandit known only as, and he makes the Z. On the tree, yeah. And the guy goes, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and he lifts his uh, eye patch. <laughs> Again. These are the jokes. These are the jokes. Uh, and says his name's Zorro. And we go back to the peasant and give him back his money. Of course, that's when we find out that that was the tax collector. Yes. Uh, and then and then we get in conversation of he makes the Z again and he goes you know what that is he goes the number two the number two no my daughter she's in school <laughs> I like that he says you keep up with the local news and uh, <laughs> the happenings I like the joke that they he brought him back more than they actually than the right. tax I actually took so he feels a little guilty about it right. he's like well just spread it around to everybody else all right and he describes him that he's going to help the helpless friend the friendless and defeat uh, the defeatless yes um, well said. We're at the party. Uh, Charlotte, who's Lauren Hutton, is outside, and uh, Diego brings her inside. And now we're in the big ball, and there's dancing. And Diego, you know, presents Charlotte to Florinda, who asks why she's not wearing a costume, um, and she doesn't believe in dressing up when other people are starving. Um, By the way, Lauren Hutton is good in this movie. She, uh, he, she this is well. And here's the thing. You get cast in a movie. Yeah. You have a job and she does it 100%. She does. She is completely committed to this and she does it. She, I totally agree. She is good in this. She's movie. the only straight one in the movie. Everyone else has played for laughs. She's straight. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about straight gets us into a whole other. <laughs> True, a, fair point. A whole other thing fair in this point. film. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, and the, the tax collector comes in outside. The peasants are starting to mumble because Zorro has returned. Yeah. Zorro! He said his name was Zero. And he goes, well, go find him. And the tax collector turns around. It's like, well, there he is. Yes. And Esteban draws his sword and kind of slaps it at Diego's chest. And they have a some witty repartee, uh, some parry and thrust, if you will, mm-hmm. about pointed heads and sharp wit and dull swords. And then we have a sword fight. It's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good sword fight. Uh, there's stuff on the table. I love how you hung up on the sword fighting. This is very funny to me. You're hung up on the sword. Zorro how believable is that? Oh, okay. That's a damn good point. All right. It's a Zorro movie, Proceed. dude. Zorro I, movies are about sword fights. I well, step back. It, That's well, a fair I, point. I kind of want to touch on something I meant to say yeah. it earlier that you said, which is about this movie being respectful to Zorro movies. Yeah. This is key to satire, is that this is what we talked about when we talked about, uh, what was something that, when we talked about uh, Young Frankenstein, yeah, yeah. Um, is that the really good satires love the thing they're making fun of. Mm-hmm. And I think there is some love for Zorro movies, and you cannot do Zorro movie without sword fights. Yeah. Like, that is that is part of the whole thing. That's a fair point. You know? And, and, and I'm sure, uh, I don't remember it, but I'm sure when they're doing the Princess Bride sword fight, they talked about Zorro. Yeah. I'm sure they did. Mm-hmm. And, and and the Tyrone Power sword fight in the 1940s Zorro, that is a really good one. Mm-hmm. And the Doug, I've seen the Douglas Fairbanks one is also a good sword fight. Mm-hmm. Like, I, well, you know, but actually, this goes back to the discussion of guilty pleasures is that I, as a kid, would do anything to see a sword fight. Yeah. That's part of why I love those martial arts movies is I love great fight choreography. Yeah. So, of course, even when I, even when this movie came out, I'm sure I was looking at the sword fight. Yeah, probably. And he, he just, after Zorro disarms Esteban, he goes, I can see that your pockets are lying with the money you have stolen and your shoulders are padded with false expenses <laughs> and your fancies bulge with greed. <laughs> And takes his pants down. <laughs> he fights his way out, jumps out the window, and lands and breaks his leg. It says, shit. Yeah. 
<laughs> the only cuss word in the movie. Is it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think there's a fuck. Is there? Well, I don't know. It's in my mm, notes. Okay. I mean, you've seen the movie. I've seen the I movie. Don't, I don't once. remember. Yeah, but it might, it might have popped up, and I just didn't think about it. And Diego's back home, and Florinda comes to find him, climbs up the wall, jumps on top of him, essentially mounts him, hurts him on his foot. And again, she is not satisfied with Esteban, the king of the beasts. Yes. They only have sex 12 times a year. In one night. <laughs> and of course, true to form as a Latin Lothario, he has to ask the question, does he eat anything special to make sure he can do it 12 times a night? <laughs> That's fair. Garlic, lots of garlic. Is, the, is that a conversation? I mean, I've always heard that joke. Is that particularly a Latin thing to discuss? Yeah. Uh, sexual prowess in the bedroom? No, I meant the food, the garlic and the oh, oysters and no, stuff. Well, that's, well, if he can go 12 times in one night, you got to ask how. <laughs> fair. That's a fair point. It's, fair. it's usually oysters is the joke nowadays, yeah. but the garlic was a good joke then. Um, I don't, yeah, that's a lot of garlicky breath. Yeah, I don't want to smell that. Yeah, not good. for 12 times. Have you ever had garlic? Mm, never mind. <laughs> I don't like garlic. <laughs> And sometimes I've dated women before who have who like garlic, and I can smell it through their skin, through their pores. Turns me off like nobody's business. I can't do it. It is powerful stuff. It is. I'm not a big fan of it. Although it is really good for your stomach, the pure garlic. I so, love garlic. Yeah. I cook with garlic. Garlic is delicious. There you go. How it smells on people after is a whole, you know, that's a different discussion. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> how it smells on the pipples. Yeah. I'm going to move on the pipples. <laughs> Um, the Alcada is here and Florinda hides in the Zorro costume coffin in the coffin yeah Yeah, with the heart on it yeah (laughs) and um, Zorro and uh, or sorry Diego is in the bed and by the way my friend why were you not at my party tonight so this is obviously he's suspecting him from the beginning and what's so funny is he's going to suspect him and then not suspect him right and then suspect him again like this is a totally new thought mm-hmm. and then not suspect him and then suspect him again there's a lot around Zor- around don diego they're like well, for god's sakes like, <laughs> I mean, how many times how many clues do you need it does go i think we came up on the cinephiles before is that uh th- that meme of uh facial recognition on clark kent <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's right. like that's superman <laughs> it's like come on it's pretty clear who you are. Exactly. But, uh, and so he jumps out of bed and he, he walks around, does some manly walking, jumping, running in place. Uh, walking and jumping and running in place. And walking and jumping and running in place. And walking and jumping. Hello! <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Oh, wait. Is he, when does he stab the coffin? Uh, right before he's walking out. He has yeah. The, he's, he's all frustrated about the Zorro. And so stuff. he stabs the coffin and says, my, you know, it's my temper. My wife says it'll be the death of her. <laughs> A little sooner than you think. Um, and he exits, and the coffin opens, and she was fine. I guess he missed her. Thank God for small favors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but now we have problems because how's Zoro going to fight? True. He's got a twisted what ankle are we or a broken do? ankle. There's a sign. We have little title cards that come up, and this one says, Reign of Terror enters third week. No end in sight. Esteban is torturing people. He's going crazy having all firstborn males named after him. Yes. Even pets. That's, that's too far. And in comes... Ramon. Well, I was Ramon 20 years ago when father decided it wasn't quite masculine enough, so he shipped me off to sea in that British frigate. They say the Navy makes men. Well, I'm living proof they made me. We have arrived (laughs) at the meaning of the title. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Which he actually says, which I love. Um, But yeah, this is Bunny Wigglesworth, the introduction of his twin brother. This is George Hamilton again, this time in full-on powdered white face with the wig. 
uh, wearing an old school British uh, ridiculous admiral, yeah, yeah. thing. So I don't know quite how to approach this <laughs> character. I think this is this is a great character. He's not played for laughs. I think hold overtly. On. Hold on. Overtly. <laughs> Not played for laughs. He is a warrior. He fights. He is not. I mean, he is. He does it his own way in his own style. He's got the English. Now, oh, here's a good question for you. Do you like the English accent that Hamilton does or the Latino accent or the Mexican accent he does? Which one is better? Uh, well, you've said that you really like the Latino accent. I don't it's, mind his accent, yeah. But um, I think he nails the British one here. I, I think they're good accents. Yes. But I think you're distracting us from the larger point. <laughs> <laughs> accents aside... So I went around. I tried. The, I, you yeah. know, I tried to do what research oh, I could. Course, there's no. There's nothing. How you could know, there be? Any? There's almost nothing about this film. Um, the one thing I found was several mentions of this describing this as blackface. Wow. That this is the this is the archetypal stereotype of a gay man huh. played for laughs, and honestly. To some degree, that's how I feel about it. I would say that it was way more in the way of the dragon than this. Yes, but Way of the Dragon is not called Gay of the Dragon. No, this no, is it's called not. Zorro the Gay Blade. This right. is the central joke of the whole film. Right. Is a stereotype gay man well, as Zorro. Let's I, I would love to get I wish we had Michael's take on this. It would be funny to have Michael's take on this, but I don't see him as stereotypically I could see how people could feel this way, right? But he doesn't lisp. He, he does lisp. He doesn't like he talks about shopping. He likes fancy clothes. Sure. Does, I mean, like everything. He has a whip. Yes. Like everything but, about him. But is, he isn't um, less manly. He is never seen as less manly. He comes in as the savior. They treat him as the savior. Don Diego is completely subservient to Ramon in the whole situation. Uh, Paco as well. And when he decides to take it on, they let him take it on in his way. And he uses the whip. And yes, he wears different colors, but at no point is he doing the list. I mean, I'm sorry, doing the limp wrist going, oh, it's so good. He's playing the role a lot stronger than a, than a stereotypically gay person we've seen in other films. Well, this is so. I, 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 it's, it's, and by the way, I'm not discounting the feeling that it is blackface. Right? Sure. In my opinion, it isn't. Well, well and here's the, and again, this goes to why, why what you said last night kind of made me go. Mm. Oh, I guess this is an interesting film to talk about because there's a thing that happens. And, and you know what? We talked about this way, way back in When We Were Kings, which is oh. that, which is the idea of what does, and we talked about it with Sidney Poitier in The Heat of the Night, Yes, is what does a person have to represent mm -hmm. in order to advance the cause forward? And, and that... Um, do you challenge the norm or is it enough to be represented? So if a um if Rochester in Jack Benny, yeah. who plays kind of a stereotypical character, is a representation of an African American on radio and on TV, and that to some degree is better than no representation, mm -hmm. you know, um, or Butterfly McQueen in Gone with the Wind, even though those are stereotypical rep representations to mm -hmm. some degree. At what and then there's the no we have to challenge those rep representations and do things that are different mm -hmm. you know and that's the the reason is when we were kings is the Jack Johnson and Muhammad Ali versus Joe Lewis and Jackie Robinson is like or 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 what they describe with Sidney Poitier of being the impeccable black manner I think mm -hmm. that was the name of like that he was perfect so oh we can't we can't present any faults we have to perfect perfection and then there's the no we have to 
present people as human. And, yeah. and it's like, when there are no representations of gay men in film, this is a, a gay man who I believe is really stereotypical, but is also the hero. Yes. Without question. He's unquestionably the hero. And so and that's why I, I would be curious to hear what Michael has to say sure. about it. Sure, sure, sure. You know, um, is that in 1981, if you were part of the gay community, largely in the closet, mm -hmm. were you? did you look at this film and go, this is funny and it's cool that we're the hero? Or did you look at this film and go, they are reinforcing this negative stereotype and we are bothered by it in 1981. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder because once again, this is a more well-rounded gay character. There are there are stereotypical uh, approaches in that. Yeah, he talks about shopping, or he has a, a, a lighter uh, a lift in his voice, a lighter lift in his voice. I've never, I don't hear the list, but if you say there's a list, fine. Uh, but to me, what he is from the beginning is a dominant character. He is not a submissive character. He's not played to be uh he is not taken advantage of he's not in any way shape or form the, a dumb character or a character no. that's what i'm saying so so yes maybe the uh initial presentation of him as coming down with the with the umbrella and everything like that is a little stereotypical but the character itself is very much constantly uh ahead of everybody else yep. and very much wins every battle he gets involved and, and, in and saves the day at the end well and i would say the uh Gay Blade Zorro is more of a badass than Don Diego Zorro. There we go. Um, so, so, and it gets to this weird thing, which which has taken me a while to kind of get my head around. Mm. Is we obviously understand the power that, of negative stereotypes and how reinforcing negative stereotypes about people, you know, can be so dangerous and painful. But there's also a problem with positive stereotypes. Jews are good with money. You know, okay. that's a stereotype. It's kind of, if you said it, he said it as the Jews are cheap, that's the negative version. But right. you say that, oh, Jews are really good with money. Well, that sounds positive. Yeah. Or Asians are really good at math. Or African-Americans have good rhythm. Mm -hmm. Or are good at sports. Or athletes. Athletes, yeah, yeah. right? So these are all, they sound positive. Yeah. But they also put into a box the, the people that they're describing mm -hmm. and saying that you are, because you're part of this group, you are like this. Right. You know? And so... Even though I believe this is a stereotype, it is handled in a positive way, and then we go okay. And, and of course, you know, we, you know, obviously we've we've talked about this many times on the Cinephiles, mm. much to our audience's irritation. Sometimes, is no one would do this today, you know, right? You know, we would never present it. Even even when we talked about Birdcage with Michael, right? Is that it was interesting to watch that? That's extremely positive, yeah, yeah. But it was also like he described that this is the butch guy, mm -hmm. Robin Williams, and this is the effeminate couple and that in fact gay couples really don't break down in this way mm. and in 1995 that was groundbreaking and insightful and yeah. really human but maybe today you wouldn't do that either yeah you if know you do this today you cast a gay actor right right well i think this is where that blackface comment well because you, you look you look at sean hayes in will and grace right god sakes yep what are we talking about he is every stereotype in the book is represented by what he does but because he's gay it's okay I wonder where the line is, right? If I have a Latino right. playing all the Latino stereotypes, which which drove me nuts about Desperate Housewives, sure. how Eva Longoria, Longoria played a conniving, uh, cheating on her husband, uh, Latina who was constantly all about money and status and looking good, it drove me nuts. Yeah. There was no depth to what she did. And it frustrates me. Devious Maids frustrates me. That's, that's ridiculous. But... 
if we're all, but we're okay because it's Latinos playing it. I think there's more nuance to this well, conversation it's, it's, certainly. It's, so it's, I hear it's it's also why Karen uh, doesn't like Goodfellas and reluctant to watch Sopranos, which oh, I've not. never watched it either. Because uh, which I always wanted to, and I right. know it's supposed to be great. But she's like, well, I don't like. She hates the uh, New York, New Jersey Italian stereotype, ah, and the reinforcement of that really bothers her. Huh. And and even though those are clearly great pieces of art, sure, sure, sure. Well, and this is well, and the reality and is complex pieces of art. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to say I'm going to say maybe a contra- controversial or offensive statement is stereotypes exist because there's stuff there. Yes. You know? I think all of us secretly know that. I mean, not... Maybe that, not say it out loud, but we secretly know Not that. that I think Latinos are conniving mm-hmm. or like, or, or you know, but, uh, you know, as a Jewish person, Jews are, a lot of Jews are good with money. Yes. You know? It's been and, my experience. Yeah. I'm, you know. I'm jealous of how good some Jews are with money. Well, and I was raised that my dad talked to me about how mortgages work when I was 11, yeah, you know? That doesn't happen in Latino houses. <laughs> I mean, well, it probably, ha- well, and this is the thing about stereotypes. Yeah. I am 100% certain that it does in some Latino in some, households. In some, right. You yes, know? Fair. But if you, if you balance out what is the percentages of, of Jewish parents having conversations with their kids about money, there's probably more of them than there are with Latino parents. Right, right. It's weird that uh, Zorro the Gay Blade has gotten us here. Yeah, but... But this is kind of part of why I went, oh, maybe this is an interesting conversation, yeah. is that the problem with stereotypes is when you put them on people. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's like when you go, when you meet uh, a Jewish person and have an expectation about who they are That's, and what they are absolutely. based on the stereotype that you, it's not that there's not stuff in the stereotype, but you meet a Latino and you um, you automatically think a bunch of stuff about them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the prejudice in the beginning of racism. Which they do address when the alcalde makes fun of him, but- Look how many times he is caught out by the gay Zorro because the alcalde is stuck in a prehistoric way of thinking about this guy, and he is not prehistoric. Zorro the Gay Blade, deep movie. (laughs) (laughs) Me? You wish me to be Zorro? (laughs) You mean to wear that drab-ridden costume and charge about picking fights with total strangers? What? It is our destiny. And now he finds out that that he has this destiny to it's be Zorro. Dip. It's very dip. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very dip for the people. For the people. Um, um, and we come up with sort of a, the plan of yeah. like you be Zorro, you know, in my stead. And he's like, he doesn't want to wear the drab clothes. Right. And he doesn't know how to fence, but pretty good with a whip. I just love how he's able to get these these outfits done so quickly. And no one questions. <laughs> so, well, he goes to Peter, the dressmaker. Oh, the dressmaker. That's right. <laughs> um, St. Peter, the dressmaker. Um, uh, and then we do this totally bizarre scene where one side of his face is as Bunny. Yeah. And the other side of his face is Don Diego Zorro. And he turns back and forth switching accents. And George Hamilton's fantastic in this scene. Did you know that he won the Golden Globe for this role? What? <laughs> I did not know that. For Golden Globe comedy? Yep. Ha, ha, ha. Even more vindication. <laughs> yes. um, He's good in this role. He, well, and this is the thing. These you know, are two just completely like we said different with, people. Just like we said with Lauren Hutton, you got to go all out. And he does. He goes 100% into yes. this role. And he creates both those characters. Yes, he does. And they're completely distinct. Um, and, and this is where we get, when we finally agree this is going to work, that he says, But I'm afraid this costume's not to my taste. If I am going to be this Zorro chappie, I want to make more of a statement. I want the world to recognize Zorro the Gay Blade. <laughs> there should be a li- there must be on the internet somewhere a list of movies where they said the title in the movie. Oh yeah, I'm sure. 
<laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> it's not my favorite thing. <laughs> um, uh, and he comes and rescues some peasants from the tax collector. Same music. Now he's using a whip. He spells out Zorro with a whip. Esteban's asking questions. We get into this set of jokes about what was he wearing? Oh, plum. <laughs> so, and then he was uh, green like an avocado. And then he oh, was so, a banana. So it's two fruits and a vegetable. It's like, no, avocado is a fruit. Uh, uh, and then he goes, oh, okay. yeah. And then you get the salad. The salad, the rose. The rose. So two fruits, one vegetable, um, and a fruit salad. <laughs> fruit salad. <laughs> There's some slow mo shots of Zorro. Yeah. And he says, there's no shame in being poor, only in dressing poorly. <laughs> it's good advice. <laughs> like Fernando said, right? It's better to look good than to feel good. <laughs> I was about to go into like the classes ana- class analysis of Fernando versus Zorro the Gay Blade, but I think we're going to move on. <laughs> and he By goes- the way, Billy Crystal, honorary Latino. <laughs> okay. for, for Fernando, man, he was good with that. <sighs> you got to put this list up. New top 10 show. <laughs> Top 10 honorary Latinos. <laughs> this could be a good Patreon topic. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, I've never tried to put in a, 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 a re-list or topic, whatever your thing are. I don't know if I'm eligible. That could be a good thing. I don't know. I might have to give more money. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Speaking of money, Zorro's giving some money to Charlotte. She says, you seem so much freer than other men. <laughs> Comfortable in your skin. Once again, that's a compliment. Absolutely. And his lines, the way these pants are cut, you don't feel so constrained. <laughs> Sorry, my accent is not good. That's, I, I don't care. It's fun. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, and she basically, she's into Zorro. Yeah. And anything that you would ask me to do, I would do gladly. Anything. Now, was she into the other Zorro? Well, we don't find out till later. And when she does admit that she always knew it was Don Diego. And then she said, for a while, I thought you were two different people. But then I realized it's just two sides of the same man. Which it's not. Which is not. And but- I would contend that she seems far more attracted to this Zora. Yes. Than the dude that she's going to end up with. Because he's more open with his emotions. He's more vulnerable. Remember. And remember, he said, this is 1981. Later, when they have that exchange that Hamilton or Don Diego says to her, oh, you, so you like being vulnerable. You like men who are vulnerable. 1981. Yeah. Deep movie. I'm just <laughs> saying. The gay plane. I'm just saying. Um, and she she basically offers herself to him, and we go back to Don Diego, and Ramon comes in kind of prancing. Yes. Um, and we talk about Charlotte, mm-hmm. and basically that Charlotte's into me. <laughs> and Diego's just like, "Then you are very lucky, you know." <laughs> yes. Well, why don't you look at it this way? In fifty years, you'll be just another toothless old hag. Fifty years with her would be a lifetime with anyone else. Because the gay blade is, once again, smarter than everybody else. She said he says, "What she's in love with is Zorro, not me." And right. so that's once again, he thro- he definitely throws his brother, you know, a bone. He's not he's knowledgeable. Yeah, and Esteban comes up, sees the cane, uh, and he goes, "No, no, no, it's a sword to protect myself from Zorro because there's a sword in the cane." Um, and he also swings at a candle, uh, cause candle slicing is an important Zorro, uh, trope that of course we have to do. My own compatriot, my heart is heavy to tell you, you have missed. And I love that he takes the candle off and says, you are correct. <laughs> uh, Esteban has a new plan. He's going to shoot one peasant a day until Zorro gives himself up. <laughs> I like how they both realize that's a little too far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he screams and draws his sword because this is this Esteban move. Yes. We check out the the wanted poster. 
Um, and now we get into, does this remind you of someone? <laughs> um, yes, it is Zorro. I know it is Zorro. And he takes the scarf around Diego's ma- face and lifts it up and goes, it reminds me of you. So <laughs> now he wants him to say something like a sissy boy. Uh, see, and who's saying that? The villain. The villain is saying Yes. And who's laughing at it? Uh, I don't know. The audience is laughing. I'm, um, I start to laugh. When, when they start going the back and forth. Right, when he starts doing the movie. Because it's comical to watch a straight man try to do that. And it's played for laughs because it's, it's ridiculous. Right, because, it, because gay people are ridiculous. No, no, because straight men trying to act like that is ridiculous. There is a long, long history of jokes about who and what gay men are uh-huh. that have been funny because of kind of limp-wristed, lisping, prancing jokes, which is what this is. Okay. Like that's that, it, yes, it is a straight mm-hmm. man doing this role and it is doing it for laughs. Would you be just as offended if a gay man did a version of a straight man? Like we see with Nathan Lane trying to be straight all through moments of the birdcage. So, the, and, well, and this gets Once into- Once again, it's a comedy. So, 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 so one of the things that's, uh, how am I going to say this the right way? One way of looking at that mm. some people look at things is that oppressed communities have different rights from non-oppressed communities. Yes, of course. So that this group can make that joke and this group cannot make that joke. Right. You know, it's like, it, 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 <laughs> no, I think, I'm getting into this thing. This is a like, fair point. Like having a gay pride parade mm-hmm. and then can you have a straight pride parade? Right. You know, of course. And it's like, well, do you need a straight pride parade? Right. You know, and, and, and in my basic egalitarian idealistic point of view mm-hmm. everybody should have equal rights to say everything i don't like the idea that there are topics which one group can talk about and another group can't talk interesting. about interesting that doesn't seem because i believe in free speech free speech okay. is super like we did ken burns civil war right ken burns is one of the most brilliant people in the world who has made a career dealing with issues of race yep. in an incredibly intelligent subtle complex manner yep. and he's a white New England kind of guy. Sure. And I would never want anyone to say, hey, Ken Burns, you really shouldn't be talking about race. You're a white guy. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. I want people, I believe that's what free speech is about. However, I also think that uh, there are a bunch of people who've dominated the conversation for most of history. Yes. And they should probably shut up Mm -hmm. about certain topics for a while, or at least, you know, my dad's expression always was you have two ears and one mouth, use them in that ratio, (laughs) you know, is that at least you should shut up and listen first. Yeah. It's not that you can't have, it's like, I believe that I can have an opinion on women's rights Mm -hmm. or on gay rights or on race. I've read a lot and thought a lot about race. Race is an incredibly important issue. And I believe that I have things to say, Mm -hmm. but I don't believe that I should tell you about Latino rights or Latino history or Latino culture. I think I should listen to you, but I do have the right to an opinion. Yeah, of course. You know, Mm -hmm. and that's where, so I mean, again, Zora the gay play. <laughs> but, that's why this is such a fun film to talk about this stuff with. Well, this is why last night you mm-hmm. turned me around on it as I went, oh, but, you know, it might, in terms of, because I was really worried. It's like, is Zora the gay blade where the cinephiles jumps the shark? No. You know, like we're going to go, we've been doing great films, Citizen Kane, Lawrence of Arabia, and even the ones that are some guilty pleasures, like 
Armageddon or Con Air or Police Story or whatever, yeah. like we, we, those are films with big groups of fans that there was a lot to talk about. And I went, I don't know if Zora the Gay Blade is, because it's not right. like there are a lot of fans hankering for this film, I don't think. You might be surprised. Well, well that's, that's fair enough. That, we're going to find out. You yeah, know, if, if our numbers. If, if on twi- well, and on Twitter, you, we can tell as soon as we announce a film, <laughs> yeah. there's usually a yes. I can't wait. Like when we put out Con Air, I was a little bit worried. And there was an explosion of excitement about yep. Con Air. I don't know what it's going to be like. What I'm more, I'm more confident about Way of the Dragon that there's a lot of Bruce Lee fans. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't it be cool if there was a whole bunch of people who said this is my guilty pleasure too? Yeah, sure. Certainly, Matthew Hasso would think it's cool. I think so. <laughs> um, and there is, yeah, as we said, there's some mm-hmm. uh, limp wrists. There's some dancing. There's some. There's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that happens here. And then we see a dude like in an orange cape, and we run out to get him. And this is where we get our our padre from the order of saint peter the dressmaker who was who was christ's tailor christ's tailor <laughs> uh, these are the jokes folks <laughs> and it convinces him and says hey pray for me because of the zorro thing yeah and there's a ridiculously insulting and funny prayer it's pretty funny oh heavenly peter i have any peter he who sows in this he who on this sows so that we follow in his passion so that we may follow in his fashion. Let this simple and inane man. Let this simple and inane man. Find what he seeks. Find what he seeks. And then he says, now you count to 10 as a prayer. And he bugs out. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he offers him some money. He's already gone. And of course, now he's on the horse and has stolen all of his stuff. Yeah. Because that's when Esteban realizes that, that that's Zorro. Florinda wants another mass ball. Uh, and a lot of it is to show off this beautiful necklace she has. Yeah. And he goes, oh, this is great. It's going to be a trap to catch the bandit. We're at the ball. Esteban is dressed as Henry VIII, and he gives instructions to the guards to stay right around Florinda at all time, which leads to some silliness. And he goes, now, we got to be really careful, because he's not going to just walk in and say, here I am. Right. <laughs> Cut to. <laughs> here I am. Here I am. Diego Ryson, dressed as Zorro. He goes, arrest him, whips off the mask. Oh, you're Zorro. He's like, no, some servant told me to come dressed as Zorro. And then you hear, here I am. (laughs) And then it ends up that everybody comes dressed as Zorro. Yep. Which was a great, uh, it's a good good idea. No, I'm I'm, I'm sold. That's a good, funny idea. (laughs) Um, But the one person who doesn't come dressed as Zorro. Yeah, because now everyone is dancing and we get to see uh, his, uh, Diego's cousin, which is Buddy Wigglesworth um, from Santa Barbara. This is an old tradition. Oh, yeah. Since, since Milton Burrow. Yes. Of the dressing up as a woman. Yeah. Play, you know, Monty Python did it. Yep. Uh, certainly even up to uh, Martin. Uh, Shakespeare. Playing. Shakespeare, yes. Absolutely. Going all the way back to Shakespeare. Yes, of course. Yeah, dude's dressing on... Drag has a long, long tradition. It does. Um, and Esteban is immediately smitten. Florinda is walking around with dancing guards all around her. And then uh, uh, Bunny runs up and spills a drink on Florinda, who mm-hmm. screams, and they head off to the bathroom. Yeah. And Esteban turns to Diego and says, your cousin, she's not a woman. And Diego's like, oh, no. She is a goddess. And then when he turns back around, he's like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, and inside the bathroom, Bunny is all over Florinda. Yeah. You know, helps her pass out, steals the necklace, and there's... And she comes back out, no necklace, and they yeah. go, oh, my God, and yeah. screams. Yep. Heck. <laughs> they run in, and he's gone. Yes. They don't immediately go, uh, that's your cousin. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that was also the guy from the order in the garden 
Right. Yeah, so there's a lot of clues here that the Alcalde well, is and he, purposely... He suspected him right from yeah, the beginning. right from the beginning. And then just stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Esteban's not the smartest guy. He's not the smartest guy. Yeah. And now uh, uh, the brother, the gay blade, is like, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. I'm going to go back to my ship. I'll see you later. Yep. You go off and find Charlotte. He goes to find Charlotte, uh, puts the necklace around her as Zorro. Um, and she already, she knows that it was Diego. Yeah, the whole time. And they have a little romantic scene. We have more pronunciation jokes. Talks about vulnerability. Talks about vulnerability. Uh, a kid comes and warns him that soldiers are coming. We see there's a spy that's watching. Um, uh, Just randomly a spy. Yep. <laughs> Just the, uh, when I return, we will not have to worry about how to pronounce virgin. <laughs> And then for some reason, they're talking about the spy is talking to Esteban and Paco is in another room and overhears it while jumping up and down behind some windows. <laughs> um, and Esteban is a reward, throws the spy in solitary confinement. And Paco goes to tell him that they're to Diego, that they're going to execute Charlotte. Yeah. Um, and we have come to the climax of Zorro, the gay blade. Yeah. Because Charlotte is being marched in to be executed. And we've got drummers. We have a little drummer joke where Esteban <laughs> keeps trying to speak and the drummers keep drumming. The crowd is not happy. Right. And Esteban has kind of said to Florinda, no, no, we're not going to kill her. We're just trying to lure in Zorro. Mm-hmm. And they're about to uh, get ready to shoot her. And he goes over to one of the brethren in their uh, cassocks. Yeah. Is that the word? I think so. Yeah. Cass- not, not, yeah. Anyway, you can't remember. The hood. Uh, the hood. And it ends up, of course, that's Zorro because we see the black glove and he puts a knife to Esteban's throat but then essentially gives himself up to save Charlotte. Yeah. And now Zorro's going to be executed. And <laughs> there's some back and forth between him and Charlotte. Why she don't say I'm going to love you forever or something like that. And then she does say. And she does say, it. "I'll love you forever." I said this to my girlfriend. I said, "Honey, that in a microcosm is a Latino. <laughs> it's never enough." <laughs> it's never <laughs> enough. They can always do a little bit more. And when she says that when he says that to her, I'm like, that's the microcosm right there. She's like, that's is that why is that why we have issues sometimes? I'm like, yes, babes. Welcome to the real world. So if she just turns to you and <clears> says, <throat> I will love you forever. Whenever you have issues, you're gonna be good? You're good to, you're just good to go. You're good to go with that one. Yeah, all right. John. Yes. I'll love you forever. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <laughs> you're good now, right? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> at least to the end of this podcast. It would have been nice to get a piece of pie with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally in the fridge, there's pie. I have pie. Great. Um, damn it I should have started with the pie where's the punch led with the pie <laughs> then the love you for god I ruined it again that's my one chance um, and then we hear just as they're about to execute him <laughs> I'll play two bits four bits six bits a peso all for Zerto stand up and say so <laughs> See? And there's no lisping there. And there's seven S's in that, those sentences. <laughs> He's just saying it straight up. Um, His own style. The outfit. Oh, the outfit's incredible. The yellow. The gold, rather. Gold. It is it's, gold. It is Please, fantastic. Please, sir. <laughs> and we have a big fight. The peasants attack. Yes. There's a lot of jokes. Um, they're, it's funny. Paco is the uh, sidekick. It yes. does sidekick things just like we saw with uh, you know, Adventures of Robin Hood. Uh, like with uh, I forget the name of that character. Like that is a normal, and he has funny. Sancho Panza in yeah, yeah, and they do like belly bumps yep. and things like that because that's what sidekicks do. 
Um, and finally we have the peasants surrounding all the guards and Esteban and Florinda and Esteban goes attack and the guards turn around and point their guns at them. And he kneels in front of Florinda and just says, you know, uh, I know you will not desert me. And she says, glad to see you're finally developing your sense of humor. And she leaves our two Zoros shake hands and, uh, the gay blade waves goodbye and, uh, rides off and we're left with Charlotte and Diego uh, and she says, you know, now that the revolution's happened, she wants to maybe create some new voters. Yeah. It sounds like the old fashioned way. <laughs> and then she talks about, but we're going to move to, we're going to sell your land. We're going to move to Boston. Move to Boston. It's the only civilized city. It's just feud, art, music. He's like, I've been to Boston. Couldn't hear a single mariachi. Band. One decent mariachi player in the city. Now, this is a really funny ending. Because what if- Because is, I don't think mariachi bands existed at this well, time. Well, no, that too. But also- is this a callback to the guy who originally wrote the first story of Zorro who wrote it in Boston? I'm not 100% sure he's from Boston. I'm that, okay. Yeah, so... But that would be an awesome way that would be awesome. to give homage to that writer without making it overt. Should I look up and see where Jonathan McCauley is from? <laughs> if, if you'd like to. Uh, yeah. Okay. Someone else Why don't look I look it up? it up while you're talking? Okay. Um, uh, it's just me talk. We've at, we're at the end of the movie. <laughs> I have nothing about its reception. I know George Hamilton won the Golden Globe. That's good. It has been, it was a beloved movie as played in Northern Virginia, Latino oriented uh, <laughs> film houses in the early 80s. Yes. Um, have you ever listed this as, on a top 10 show? Um, no. But I have mentioned it. Right. I know you mentioned it. Top 10 shows. Yeah. But we haven't done a top 10 guilty pleasure movie or top 10 like underground 80s comedies, movies. We haven't done anything like that. Have the, you the, done top 10 satires? Oh, no, we haven't. That'd be a good one. Satires rarely come out. Yeah. So uh, nowadays. We have all of film history that is to go on. Absolutely. There's a lot of satires to play around with, but they rarely come out for us to use it as a topical one for the week. But it could be something that a Patreon of ours, mm. a Boss Hog Patreon of ours, requests uh, when we do one Patreon request every month for a topic. So right. it's in play. I can't afford to be a Boss Hog. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a, that's yeah. fine. But Matthew Hasso is. Yeah. Um, this guy is from Illinois. Ottawa, Illinois, Illinois Ottawa, in Illinois. 1883. I don't know if he moved. He was a reporter for the Police Gazette and served as an Army Public Affairs Officer during World War One. He created Black Star, The Spider, The Mongoose, and Thubway Tham. I have no idea who that Thubway is. Thubway Tham? Yeah, so that was probably a somebody with a lisp. <laughs> <laughs> he was raised in Chicote, Chilicote, Illinois, and he died in 1958 in L.A. at the age of 75. All right. Um, so we've reached the time for our final <laughs> thoughts on Zora the Cave Blade. I will give my final thoughts first. Sure. I have thoroughly, thoroughly, genuinely enjoyed our conversation about this film. Good. I enjoyed it many times more than I actually enjoyed watching the film. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it more now having talked to you about it. Oh. And, and I kind of going back to my initial point of that maybe part of what a guilty pleasure is, is that it taps into a thing of yours that isn't getting served. Mm -hmm. And so even though you recognize that this movie isn't that great, there's things in it that you weren't getting anywhere else, and that's why you keep going back to it. Yeah. Maybe that is my final thought about Zorro the Gay Blade. All right, fair enough. I will say this. It's one of my favorite 80s comedies, underground 80s comedies, guilty pleasure comedies, and for whatever reason, it hits all the right notes for me with the style of comedy that it is. These uh, under-the-breath comments, these uh, uh, end-of-scene comments that before they cut to the next scene, 
the, that's where the humor is for me, more so than the overtly big pieces of comedy that are set up. And I enjoy that. And I love that everybody is dialed into what's happening and really leaning into the comedy of it all. Brenda Vaccaro, there's not an unbelievable moment in the entire film. I think from any actor in the whole film, there's not an unbelievable moment. Everybody's fully committed to they're what they're doing. They're fully committed to what yeah. they're doing. Whether it's good or not is, of course, a matter of taste or subjection. Or, but like they are fully committed to what they're doing. And Ron Liebman, who went on to have a great career, obviously uh, a lot of things that he's done. By the way, married to Jessica Walter. And mm. I did not know that. Married to Linda Lavin before that. Yeah. Uh, he was great as the Alcalde. Uh, and all of them, although the, it's all played for laughs and big overt stuff, it's, there's still a foundation running underneath of respect for the material. Uh, and that, and for the character, the uh, weight of being that character, and the importance of being that character, because by the end, Don Diego, who was a Lothario sleeping with married women, is a settled man. He's found his purpose and his destiny to be Zorro, and he's going to have kids and move forward, and he's going to be a hero for the Pipples. And that, <laughs> and that is a fantastic story overall, whether you agree with the humor or not. And the brothers, uh, who had not seen each other in twenty years are back reunited and uh, friends again. And that's all positive. So to me, it's a great film in that way. You know, I was just thinking as you're saying that, is mm. that is that obviously you have a well-established Latino identity. <laughs> but I also think Which that your love for this... For. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's horrible. Yeah. Your, your love for this film shows a deep, deep affection for a certain kind of Catskills Jewish humor. Oh, yes. And I think I might give you the title of Honorary Jew. I... I I don't know what to say. I am super honored about that because I have always enjoyed Jewish comedy. I've always enjoyed Jewish comedians, and I love a certain style of comedy. You that do. Comes from it's come that up era. a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. There's a particular, you know, mm -hmm. uh, sticky kind of thing that love you it. just love. Since a child, watching all those things in the '70s, those yeah. guys were my favorite comedians. Yeah. I didn't listen to Richard Pryor till much later. Eddie was my first non-Jewish comedian right. that I listened. I'm a massive David Brenner fan. Uh, I enjoy so much of the old guys doing the Dean Martin celebrity roast. So many of those comedians were Jewish, and that's how I got into that kind of stuff. Yeah. So okay. So I, I, I humbly accept. So, so <laughs> cinephiles out there, I know you didn't expect it. I know you might have been surprised by it, but the cinephiles—that is our take on 1981 Zorro the Gay Blade. You know what? I really want to hear what you think. Yes. If you watch the film, <laughs> visit us on our Facebook page. Do a search for The Cinephiles. Um, and you can, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn and Google Play. Uh, you could go on YouTube and leave comments there on individual episodes. Please leave your reviews on iTunes. They really, really help us. Yeah. I feel like they've kind of slowed down a little bit. Yeah, yeah we guys. We really use some reviews. Mm -hmm. If without the reviews, then we fall out of the rankings and people don't find us. So yeah. that's really, really important. Um, you can support the show. Become another Matthew Hasso, maybe even reach the level of totally bribing us and yeah, doing a film certainly possible by going to patreon.com slash the cinephiles. You can buy any movie we've ever reviewed except possibly Zorro the Gay Blade because it's not for sale anywhere. I couldn't find it. Really? Yeah. Oh, like you okay. could buy VHS copies. I, I have know. DVD copies. You have a DVD so bought in the 80s. Should or people, 90s, rather. Should people contact you directly to get a <laughs> copy? No. Maybe you could burn something <laughs> for them. Um, but please visit cinephiles.net. We've got a whole bunch of movies to by there and you can listen to all our episodes there and uh, as always you can reach me at SR Morris on Twitter SR Morris one on Instagram John where can they reach you you can always find me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram and if you do want to see this movie or you haven't seen this movie and I don't know why you're 
listening to this, if you haven't seen this movie, but maybe you want to revisit it, uh, I would recommend that you go onto YouTube. There is a full version of it on YouTube. And also, if you go to archive.org slash details slash Zorro the Gay Blade, you should be able to find it there because 20th Century Fox has an archive of this online, this oh. film online, which is the link I sent, yeah. Steve. You can watch it there for free. And just enjoy the movie and then maybe listen to our episode again and get a little more out of it. <laughs> so go into one of the cinephile classic archives. Exactly. Do you remember when Stephen Sean talks Zora the Gay Blade? <laughs> oh, if we ever do a live show, they may come up. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that is it for this week. Next week, we will be back with my guilty pleasure, Bruce Lee's 1972, The Way of the Dragon. <laughs>